Well, full disclosure, I'm joined by my business attorney, Brian King. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, thanks. Fantastic. Uh, Brian, how long have you been practicing law in the CSRA? Well, in the CSRA, a little over 15 years uh, total, a little over 20 years. Wonderful. Well, I understand the array of services that, that you provide and have worked with you for many years. But for those folks who maybe don't know, what are some of the type of things that you'll do for clients? Well, I review and draft contracts. Um, I advise business owners on how to protect their assets and grow their businesses. So, um, you know, I review leases, um, draft them, um, just really, I mean, if somebody's buying or selling a business, I'll draft the documents and advise them and help negotiate that deal. So... Excellent. Why don't we start at the beginning in case anyone's watching that is uh, thinking about going into business. Mm -hmm. um, how do you get started? Well, it'd be nice if they would call me first before <laughs> they uh, go to LegalZoom or any of those other uh, uh, organizations online. Um, but, you know, I will, you know, draft, I'll, I'll prepare the, um, I'll form the company for them. I'll get their EIN number and talk to them about their business and try to help them avoid roadblocks uh, that they may or may not be you know, thinking about and um, draft the contracts that they'll need to protect themselves going forward. Yeah, um, you mentioned EIN, how, mm -hmm. how interesting, em employer identification number. I get asked that a lot because mm -hmm. we formed Augusta Business Daily LLC. Why right. is that number, the EIN number, so important? Well, to file your federal taxes, you have to have it. And then you also need it for a lot of other things like opening your business bank account. They're going to want to see that along with your other organizational documents before the bank will open up your account. So. Yeah. And I guess one of the next steps after you help form the entity, you mentioned leases. Are there just a couple of things that you've seen through the years that are in leases that Maybe people who are going to rent office space or rent at a strip center, maybe they make a mistake and they mm -hmm. sign for it. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things is the term of the lease. So when you're just starting a, a brand new business, you don't want to agree to, say, like a 10-year term or something like that when you're, you don't even know if your business is going to be successful in, in that many years. Um, so, you know, you want to try to aim for, say, a one- to three-year term if possible. Um you know, you want to look at some condition of the premises and whether it's going to meet your needs and, and for the growth that you expect to have in that, that period of time. Um, you know, want to check into uh, possible renovations that could be done by the landlord and maybe there's, you know, some money that they could put towards that to make it meet your um, circumstances. And then, um, you know, things like the HVAC, you want to make sure that that is going to be uh, covered in the lease where if, if maybe if the HVAC is old and needs to be replaced, maybe you can negotiate to get the landlord to go ahead and replace that or provide some sort of allowance for um, if, if it, you know, uh, breaks down within a certain amount of time that they would uh, cover that. So in our lease, our headquarters are at <coughs> 930 Stevens Creek Road, and it says that if a technician has to be called out, up to the first five hundred dollars, sure. we're responsible. Is that standard? Um, yeah, there. Yes, and that dollar amount can vary based mm -hmm. on the lease. But that's you know that's basically if you maintain the the unit, um, and then if it goes above that, say the five hundred dollar mark, 
then the landlord comes in and either they can decide whether they want to replace it or spend the extra money to keep repairing it. Right. And, and about contracts, um, what do you think businesses should enter into contracts for? Like, are there some specific uh, reasons to have a, a contract or maybe the top three reasons? Well, the, to define what services or, or products that you're going to provide, to provide the price that those services or products will be provided at, and um, the payment terms, you know, if they're going to be paying over, you know, monthly, uh, like a subscription type service or um, that sort of thing. A um, lot of miscellaneous provisions that get added in um, by, by me when I'm looking at these um, documents that, you know, sometimes the contract, you know, there's certain elements that of the contract that need to be uh, particular to a particular industry, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's the music industry or the, you know, uh, construction industry or whatever, there's certain terms and all that are kind of, uh, that go into those. But then there's also um, some miscellaneous provisions like, you know, jurisdiction, where are you going to litigate if there's a dispute, um, what law is going to govern and, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, those, those, uh, miscellaneous provisions, which there's, you know, a lot of them, um, you know, tend to get tacked on at the end, but they're very important to have. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned that. And, um, you know, I have a, a close relative that we're working out arrangements uh, for, for Augusta Business Daily LLC. And, and we don't ever, God forbid, have a problem, want to go to court. So we thought of kind of mediation, mm-hmm. arbitration, what would the difference be between those two, and is that a good step before you have to go see the judge? Right. Well, alternative dispute resolution has become very popular in the last you know years, and um, and because it takes so long to get things resolved in courts today, and you never know what a judge or a jury is going to do, so to um, try to speed up the process, dispute resolution process, or and, and to have a little more certainty about what thing, what kinds of things are going to be considered and what, what's going to happen. Um, a lot of times people will put in arbitration provisions or mediation followed by arbitration uh, provisions. So, so yeah, I mean, um, it, it really is because contracts is just up to the parties as to what they want to put in there, um, and, and the court will enforce those arbitration provisions or alternative mm-hmm. dispute resolution provisions. So, you know, if you <clears throat> if you had to go to court to enforce them, you know, to compel arbitration or whatever. So, um, you know, it's it's a uh, um, there's there's certain organizations like the AAA or uh, not the not the car one, but, sure. but uh, other arbitration uh, methods where they have certain rules and and procedures that are already set forth, and you can kind of opt in to those existing ones, or you can create your own. Yeah, and of course. Um, we all the time find that companies are selling their business to a family and the family comes in. And so you mentioned the buy sell agreement. How are both sides protected in that? And do you uh, recommend really taking your time with that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so a lot of times a buy sell will kick in when one person dies and then the, um, the, is it the uh, remaining business owner uh, will buy out the other one and they'll pay money to that person's estate um, and, um, and then they'll continue to run the business without that person. But it makes sure that that person uh, gets 
the value of the business that they held, you know, right at their death. Um, and so the buy sell provision will set forth the, the way that that payment is calculated, the way that value is calculated, and then the payment terms, whether it's paid all in lump sum or whether it's paid over a period of years because it's a tremendous amount of money. Maybe it's worth millions of dollars. So you may, uh, uh, trigger a promissory note payment, you know, that, mm-hmm. that pays the value over time. But um, you could have triggers because of bankruptcy filings or divorces, um, things like that. So, mm-hmm. Well, the best way maybe to get in touch with Brian is he has a website with a lot of good resources at businessattorneylaw.com, businessattorneylaw.com. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. And before we scoot, um, so it's your first time in the in the podcast studio, it is. It is. what'd you think? I think it's great. Yeah, um, this is a very uh, neat way of, of communicating with the you know my client potential clients. So excellent. Well, we hope that uh, folks get in touch with you, and uh, we thank them, uh, David and Chris, and their website is AugustaPodcasts.com. That's AugustaPodcasts.com. Well, we're continuing with business attorney Brian King, who has been an attorney in the CSRA for more than 15 years. And how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Great. The last time we chatted, we pretty much went from the beginning of a business when you get started and you form a company uh, to be legal, to get an employer identification number through contracts, and then a buy-sell agreement as well. Nowadays, when we're in the pandemic and you have people that you are trying to hire um, and you don't know whether they're employees, you don't know whether they are contractors, um, how do you sort of determine what determines whether someone should be one or the other? Well, it's it's mainly an element of the control that you're going to have over that person. So if if you're going to be supplying the the tools and the resources for that person to do their job, you're going to be, um, you know, supervising them and, you know, kind of telling them, Hey, you do this and then do this and do it this at this time and all of that. Then they're more going to be more like an employee because you're, you're exerting a lot of control over them. If it's, if it's more of, Hey, you just, I'm hiring you to do this job and they come in and do it and, you just kind of, okay, make sure that it's done and then you pay them. That's more like an independent contractor. And so in the uh, agreements with uh, employees, you know, for example, you could include um, non-compete provisions, non-solicit, um, you know, and protect yourself. So you try to keep that employee from going and uh, starting their own business competing with you. Um, particularly if it's, uh, you know, maybe it's a sales position where they've got a lot of contact with your uh, clients and um, you don't want them to just run off with your clients sure. and start their own, own practice. So. A- out of curiosity, I remember from the TV business, I think it was a year that I could not go to work across the street to the competing TV station. Right. How have things changed? Like what range of time is, is pretty typical and standard? For an em- employee relationship, so the non-compete will last during the term of the employee's employment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after the employee is terminated, it can last for up to two years. And that's a very standard um, uh, accepted by the court's uh, provision. So two years is not mm-hmm. too long to right, ask right. Um, an employer right. or contractor. And then yeah. you contrast that with the sale of business context, and five years is a typical um, 
uh, non-compete per, uh, period. I see. Now, does it matter whether the person is working in your office or working from home as to determine whether it's employee or contractor? It can if to the to, to the extent of control again, you know, if now if the person is working at home, you probably have less control over them. Although in today's, you know, post or well, current current COVID environment, sure. a lot of employees are working from home now and they're still employees and they're, they're still having to report in to their employer um, a lot and they're checking on them and they're having Zoom meetings and all this stuff. And so so that by itself is not a um, determining factor on on it. There's there's actually a, uh, several factors that the IRS looks to to determine whether an, a person is an employee and would thus get a W-2 at the end of the year or whether they're an independent contractor and would get a 1099 at the end of the year. And so the IRS just looks over those factors and but a lot of and then the courts, you know, mm-hmm. will look at those, too, but they look at the control. Sure. So, and who determines whether someone might be a full-time employee or a part-time employee? Are there standards <coughs> for, for that? Well, generally, full-time, you know, people think of, you know, 40 hours a week. And sure. That's, um, Nine to five, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, the Fair Labor Standards Act, you know, can apply to certain employees where if they work more than 40 hours a week, then you would have to pay them overtime. Um, for purposes of uh, benefits like uh, health insurance, 401k, and that sort of thing, 30 hours is usually considered full-time, and the person would qualify or be able to have those benefits if they work at least 30 hours a, a, month, a, a week. Sorry. Okay. So using that example, let's say someone is agreeing to work 30 hours a week and they're an employee. Um, usually it's a two-week pay cycle. So what happens if uh, they only work 20 hours the first week? What occurs? Well, sometimes with the benefits, they have to work there for a certain period of time before the benefits kick in. So sometimes it's 60 days, sometimes 90 days, sometimes it's, it can be a year before they uh, can get a 401k benefit. But it just depends on the employer. But but if, if they are generally um, meeting the uh, hour requirements, then one week of not, not getting there doesn't. Okay. keep them from being a full-time employee. Sure. And um, how about just the amount of time? Do you recommend paying them a salary for those 30 hours or do you recommend an hourly? Depends on the, the job and, and you know, how, how the business is, is kind of uh, uh, operating really. Um, you know, you can, you can pay them by the hour or you can pay them a, pay them a salary. It really just, you know, usually the managerial employees are, more lean towards the the salaried employees, and then the, uh, you know, and the more manual labor it is, is more hourly usually. Right. So, wow. Um, and have any interesting employer employee situations in the last eighteen months come up? Have you heard of any COVID like situations or um, <coughs> clients of yours just talking about trying to find labor and? Well, it's, it's, there has been a, seems, seems to be like a shortage of labor in the market right now and primarily for the lower um, paid jobs. I mean, so like, you know, working at McDonald's or uh, fast, fast food restaurants. Sure. Um, you know, I've noticed that they've started increasing the, the pay, you know, up to like up to $10 an hour for working at McDonald's and, but they still have trouble finding employee and they and I was I actually went through the drive-thru a couple weeks ago and they say that they were going to close at 8 p.m that day because they didn't have enough help 
Right. And so, yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's definitely interesting. Um, and um, h- how do you determine whether you should pay an employee overtime or not? Well, if the, if they are they if they're an exempt employee, you don't mm-hmm. have to pay them overtime, and it's usually those managerial employee employees mm-hmm. um, that that would apply to. Um, but you know, there's there's, I mean, there's all kind of rules about that, and I've even had some uh, been involved in some lawsuits where there was uh, claims that overtime should have been paid and it wasn't, and then there's usually some, you know, there's a lawsuit and then there's uh, negotiation and then you calculate what the pay should have been and you you know usually settle right. for somewhere in between you know it's usually wow. what happens but um yeah, but yeah whether it's time and a half or mm-hmm. extra time off maybe uh, well the actually the the comp time you know doesn't yeah. quite work or it doesn't solve your problem of of not paying overtime but um you know the calculation for for overtime over, under the fair labor standards act when you when you go to calculate damages is actually slightly different than the calculation that you would do to when you're calculating how much money you have to pay that person for overtime when they are, you know, working and when you're, when say, I guess you'd say before lawsuit and damages. I follow you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Before we scoot any, uh, any last words of advice for employers or employees or contractors just from a legal standpoint? Well, just, you know, you just have to try to define your, the relationship with your employees. And that can be, you know, with um, so with starting from your offer to them as far as what they're going to be paid and what work they're going to be doing, what job, what your position is and maybe mm-hmm. a, a job description. Mm-hmm. And then um, you could have a <clears throat> employee handbook and you mm-hmm. have your policies written in there have the employee sign that they have read and reviewed and read the, the policies and they're going to comply with them, you know, and, and then, um, you know, use uh, write-ups if, if the employee violates a policy, mm-hmm. you know, talk with them about it, write, write them up if you need to. Um, and if they violate it, you know, numerous times or even one time, I mean, you can, you can terminate that employee. I mean, Georgia is an at-will employment state and mm-hmm. South Carolina is as well. Um, so, um, you can fire the employee for any reason that's not unlawful, such as, you know, race or something like that. Right. So, Discrimination. Right. Uh, age, right. things in mm-hmm. that regard. Right. Fascinating. That's, that's great. Uh, and Brian's website is businessattorneylaw.com, businessattorneylaw.com. Take it from me. Go see him on the front side of your dealings rather than after uh, things occur. Um, save a lot of time and money that way. That's don't right. You? That's right. Yeah, yeah, I always try to remind my clients to to talk to me before they sign something versus afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you.